Good morning and welcome to Breakfast with the Beak. I am your host, Johnny Goodtimes. Joining me is my sidekick. Damn, Dr. Eisenberg, who's excited for game day. Is that today? Yeah, today's the Super Bowl. I guess not me then. Alright, <laughs> fair enough. Because <laughs> yeah. I forgot that it was today. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's... It's it's none of the teams that affect my life. Yeah, no, I think I saw somewhere that one of the 49ers has a pet tortoise, so I guess I'm rooting for them. Well, there you go. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's San Francisco and Baltimore, yeah. so who gives a shit? Right, might be someone on Baltimore has a tortoise. Whoever's got a tortoise, whatever team has the most tortoises, I'm rooting for you. Johnny's on Team Turtle, as, uh, as usual. Turtles, tortoises, uh... Uh, your 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 terrapins, I guess. You know, I mean, <laughs> your 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 shelled reptiles. If you've got them, I'm I'm on your side. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I usually root Pittsburgh, but like also, if there is a New York team in the mix, it affects our lives. Yeah. Listening a- to Giants and Jets fans mope when they don't get their way is just fucking annoying, that and then I don't want to leave the house that week. So. Yeah. You know, but none of that's a factor. The funniest thing, though, right, is like... All right. <laughs> I was like, a fucking... Like, fucking Jets fans act like they're really hardcore, like, we're the underdog team, we're the tough guys. Okay, but it's football. So you've got every big, hulking, bear-like Midwestern team in the mix there. Yeah. And, like, you know, fucking... The Packers and the Bears and shit. Oh, I'm looking man. at the Jets like they're fucking pretty boys. Yeah, because yeah. they are, you know? And, I mean, there are certain teams that just fall under that sort of pretty boy kind of America's team team. Yeah. You know, like for a while it was the Patriots, but mostly just because of their name. Oh, well, yeah. Like, I they, mean, they didn't were... represent anything essential about the character of the nation, except that they cheated. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You, you, part of that was deep into post-9-11 shit, and part of that was Bill Belichick. Yeah, no, that was that was <laughs> Dick Cheney's America right there. Okay, it makes sense, it makes sense. If Belichick is kind of the Dick Cheney of football. He, yeah, now that we say it, it yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so, you know. But, but, yeah, but I mean, like, for a long time it was the Cowboys, you know, and again, it's like, okay, yes, that's a uniquely American character, but, you know, the Steelers, the Packers, the fucking dirty get-your-hands-in-there-and-you-know-crash-into-dudes-in-the-fucking-mud teams. Yeah, man. Like, that's what American football is really all about. Yeah, it's so. not about pretty men with endorsement deals, although, you know, Palomalu does have fabulous hair. Not about that. All right, yeah, I mean, right on both counts. Yeah, but yeah. it's not about the pretty men and the endorsement deals and stuff like that. It is about crashing into people till they're dead. Fuck yes. Speaking of big, huge dudes from the Midwest, have you been watching... I don't care about Super Bowl commercials. I'm fascinated with the pre-Super Bowl commercials, the snacks. Oh, speaking of big, huge dudes from the Midwest. (laughs) Like, like, remember a couple years ago it was all about the most efficient tortilla chip? Yeah, what what tortilla chip can hold the most of... Most stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, we've got a manly fucking dip full of bold flavors. Guy Fieri has personally stuck his dick into it. Yeah. (laughs) But now it's all about massive quantities of fast food. Yeah. The big big carton of Taco Bell tacos. It's like somebody at one of those fast food companies, one of the conglomerates that owns like eight of those chains, you know? Yeah. It's like somebody at that company just realized, wait a minute, there's one last untapped market. We don't cater. Yeah. But what if we did? <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Like, what if somebody wants a hundred Taco Bell tacos? Yeah, what if you want to feed your guests 
Taco Bell tacos because I guess you want to be at a party where everyone's pooping. <laughs> <laughs> Order the diarrhea special. That is what it is. Yeah, man. It's that fucking is, Taco Bell. Yeah, no. I mean, one of those tacos is enough to induce that. And Yeah, so I mean, give I mean, it to you, everybody at your Super Bowl party. Yeah, you're not going to have a hundred people at your house for the Super Bowl. Even if you've got a huge house, it's just, a, it's just an issue of how many can comfortably gather around a TV. Yeah. Yeah, so, That's, you know, you're going to be having people at your party who they're going to be eating three, four, five of these tacos apiece. <laughs> <laughs> How many bathrooms do you have? How sturdy are those fixtures? Oh, dear. I mean, they're going to be put to the test on game day, man. Yeah. Which is today. Yeah. And yeah. So, good luck, everyone, buying the big, bad box of tacos or whatever the fuck it's called. I tell you what, the Monday big is... box of bad tacos. Monday is going to be a profitable day for plumbers. Okay? Ugh. I didn't say a happy day. I said a profitable day. Well, that's true. People are going to be, you know, not just because of all the pooping. <laughs> Let's stop right here so I can say poop. <laughs> not just because of that. Lowest common denominator. Poop is funny. We need. We might as well at this point just get a little keyboard with little buttons that have like car honking and fart noises. And, Why don't we do that? And, and just a recording of Austin Powers going, oh, behave. You know, people on the radio do it, and it works, <laughs> I guess. It's true. Kind of. I mean, market share's been dwindling for over a decade. Well, that's more about the companies that run it than the, what the people want. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not about that. <laughs> I mean, we can't stop satellite radio, you know. It's happening. Howard Stern's on it. Whatever. Howard Satellite Radio, not to belabor too many points here all at once, but, I mean, that's still a subscription service. That's like the premium cable of radio. You know. Okay, the point is, in addition to poop, people are just going to be, you know, <laughs> trying to hide the, the, you know, the spouses that they killed after their team didn't win. Oh, and a yeah. lot of that stuff goes down the drain, and there's hair and bits of organ, and it's not a pretty thing. But it's just what happens in American football. People who watch it tend to like to beat their wives. So you remember the acid goes in the plastic tub. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Remember yeah. You're breaking bad. Oh, always remember you're breaking bad. Should we roll the topic now? Absolutely. Okay. Football is a wasteland. <laughs> Enjoy the game. But first, first, there's a few hours before the big game. You can listen to our fucking show. Remember, if you enjoy it, you're a bad person. The game, not the show. Maybe the show too. Well, <laughs> we don't we don't need to split hairs on whether or not the fans of us are good people. Yeah, Maybe they're the best people. Maybe they're monsters. Doesn't matter. They're survivors. They're the people who showed up. Okay, and that's let's, what that says. We ask. Let's make this happen. Then. Thank God. All right, that is a. 22. 22! Okay, what do we got for 22, Johnny? Tom Cruise's Best and Worst Films. Submitted by Jay in Philadelphia. Friend of the show, extremely frequent topic guy. Thank you, Jay. Host of JVMail at JVMail.com. Yes. Um, Tom Cruise's Best and Worst Films. (laughs) 
What is with people sending in topics where I gotta watch fucking movies? They just like to hear your reviews of them because <laughs> your review of Akira was so edifying. <laughs> and the way that you definitely didn't get everyone's name wrong on purpose, I think, was especially good. Well, I'm gonna get Tom Cruise's name right because it's pretty simple and it's monosyllabic. Yeah, and yeah. it's not his real name. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, okay. The more the more I watch movies, the more I realize I don't like movies. <laughs> okay, like I, I'm not saying I don't like any movies. Okay, yeah. I like uh, I like Big Lebowski. I like Super starring Rain Wilson. Uh, I like Star Trek Five. Okay, it's yeah, not that there. I like Star Trek Five. Okay, it's, it's, keep that in mind for the rest of whatever <laughs> he's about to say because I don't know. <laughs> it's not that I don't like any movies. It's that as an art form, movies are inferior. Okay? (laughs) Oh, that's all. Okay. Okay, because we go on. If a TV show is bad, that only is like 20 minutes when you take out the commercials. So it's not that big of a time investment, okay? You break even more or less. Whereas if a movie's bad, it's like two or three fucking hours of just like, it's fucking long. But here's the other thing. You and people are going to say, "Oh, well, in a movie, you have time to tell so much more story." No, you don't. Movies are like fucking compacted. There's no time for character development. They just throw shit at you. If you want character development, you watch a, a, a complicated episodic TV series. You know, and you watch whole seasons. Yeah, no, I mean that is something that finally fucking happened on TV. Yeah, you know because. It, you know, the potential has been there in the medium since the beginning, but other than soap operas, nobody was doing it, and soap operas were not good and, you know, tended to hit the reset button a lot. Yeah, but I but mean... But now that it can be done, it sort of does expose just how condensed movies have to be. Yeah, if you look at the the long, ongoing character development and complicated plot lines in a show like Lost or Buffy or Breaking Bad or anything like that. Yeah. It's like you get deep into the meat so much more of these characters. And then you compare it to a two and a half hour movie where it's just, here's some shit, here's Tom Cruise, here's the fighter pilot he has a rivalry with for some reason. Tell me more about these characters' deep, deep meat. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Uh, speaking of Top Gun, <laughs> <laughs> that is a homoerotic film. I mean, now because this is a Tom Cruise topic, we had to watch a number of movies featuring Tom Cruise. We watched Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. We watched Top Gun. Which one wins the homoeroticism trophy? I say Top Gun. <laughs> I mean, Top Gun's a little more overt in like kind of the, um, <laughs> you know, just kind of military butt pat kind of way. Yeah. And the, you know, half-naked volleyball kind of way. But <laughs> I'd say more than half. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, in, in Interview with the Vampire, if you read the, the novel by Anne Rice, there's a lot more overt homoerotic tones in the book than in the film. Like, they right. actually downplay it from the source material. Well, yeah, but that still is more than average for a film. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. I mean, and... I mean, the the, the Ricey and vampires are all about, you know, they don't really fuck so much as they find each other very beautiful and their yeah. companions and so forth. They sit around and look at each other and they're like, God damn, you're great. Yeah, and you're gorgeous. Like, you're oh. gorgeous too. Let's kill a bunch of people. Ugh, I've been in relationships like that. No. <laughs> 
I mean, not the killing. It you never, get to go on, like, uh, carnal murder sprees afterwards? No, it never quite got to the point of actual murder. Because, see, I think that, that really uh, um, releases the sexual tension when you can go out and drain someone else of their life force. We're, we, weren't, the... we weren't actually vampires. We could just do normal stuff. Like, oh, just, oh, like... Like sex, like, yes. Okay, <laughs> like fuck or play baseball or eat sandwiches. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> Things people do. Yeah, we could, Yeah, we didn't have to be... We didn't have to kill people. It didn't come to it. But the point is, I don't want that anymore. It's like, that seemed really fucking glamorous when that movie came out and I was 13 or whatever, but... Yeah. It's, it's interesting because when we got this topic, I realized how many Tom Cruise movies I haven't seen. He's been in about 35 movies, according yeah. to IMDb. And his first one was in 1981. I was born in 1981. As was I. So his film career exactly spans our lifetimes. More or less, yeah. So we've had over 30 years to watch all the Tom Cruise movies. I have not. We have not watched all of them, no. I mean, there are certain items on that list we felt pretty secure in skipping. Missions Impossible 2 through 4. I, I don't care how much people love them, okay? Like, I saw the first one, and then somebody's going to call me, oh, no, 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 the first one. that You can't judge the series by that. It got better when so-and-so took over. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. It's just a whole bunch of, oh, no, everything you've been doing for this whole movie is actually bullshit. The bad guy is actually this guy. That gives us an excuse for another car chase. Have not seen any of the Mission Impossible movies. It's just like, it. it's trying so hard to have a plot where no plot is actually needed. <laughs> but like, so it's doing, it's putting in more plot than a normal movie would ever need. But you don't need any. Because it's just, okay, Tom Cruise hangs from that wire thing and breaks into the vault. Tom Cruise is in a motorcycle chase. Tom Cruise kisses the pretty lady. The end. That's all you need. <laughs> Speaking of Tom Cruise movies without plots, can we talk about Cocktail? I think you're about to, because I didn't watch it. Oh, my God. Okay, Jay's original question was Tom Cruise's best and worst films, right? Yeah. So, just out of curiosity, he went on Rotten Tomatoes and looked at the rankings. Okay. Now, his, according to whatever their voting system is, they yeah. list his best film as Risky Business, which I think we'll get to. Oh, we'll have to. Because yeah. I like that movie. Everyone's seen Risky Business. And um, they list his worst film as Cocktail. Well. They came out just in a couple years in relation to each other. Uh, yeah. Right? So, <laughs> Cocktail is, first off, there's no, it's completely pointless. Like, there's nothing to it, okay? <laughs> but there's something weirder going on with Cocktail. It has this... It, it It's actually got a sort of parallel universe vibe similar to Roadhouse. I'm fascinated by what you're about to say. I am interested with my whole brain. Okay, you know how the premise of Roadhouse is based upon the concept that bouncers are the awesomest people in the world. Yeah, they're... And there's a higher level of bouncer called a cooler. And they are an elite underground, and their 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 guardian, their fucking sensei is Sam Elliott. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, just... This, I mean, Sam Elliott's my sensei, but whatever. I mean... But this hyper-reality where bouncers, you know, are, like, amazing. Yeah. Everyone looks up to them like they're Jedi. Well, yeah, man, they're they're not just bouncers, they're coolers, as you said. You know? right. <laughs> they're the guy who the bouncer wishes he was. They're the guy who keeps the <laughs> bouncer in line, okay? Okay, now in Cocktail, right, there's nothing about bouncers. However, 
bartenders are like movie stars. Oh yeah, the flair bartenders is oh, what the movie's about. It's about flair bartenders, but the the idea not just that you're serving drinks and occasionally you do something wacky. Yeah. Like I've been to bars where like, you know, the lady behind the counter will like blow fireballs and stuff. I like that lady. Yeah, she's cool. Yeah. But they they do their crazy like uh, bottle flipping tricks and they get crowds crowds of of uh, hip mitt Manhattan you know nightclub goers yeah. just crowding around and watching them and shouting you're a superstar you need to come work at my bar so they go work at his bar and they draw enormous crowds of people cheering on the guys mixing drinks was, like was there no band that night I mean no. <laughs> like is that what happened <laughs> there was no band there was music playing well <laughs> but it's like okay if you go to a Normally, there are a couple reasons you go to bar. You want to drink to forget your problems, okay? Yeah. You want to hook up with a member of the opposite sex, or you want to spend time with your friends. Yeah. No one goes out to a bar in the hope that the bartender will do cool tricks. No. I mean, I've gone to bars where the bartender turned out to be cool, and we talked, and they put up with me, or maybe genuinely were, were being nice to me. I don't know. And I don't mean like in a flirty way. I mean in a you're an okay person to talk to way. It's a 50-50 shot. But what I'm saying is, I don't want to see that person do tricks, okay? You, you just, just give me my beer, here's some money, let's keep the conversation going. I don't want, if we're doing that, I don't want you distracted by, by you know, having to flip stuff around and not spill it and shit, you know? Right. Well, yeah, that's how everybody feels. But in this film, the, the entire conceit is based upon this uh, uh, circus ringleader of of uh, bartending kind of shit. So they, they cirque du soleil, if you will, of drink mixing. So, utter madness. Yeah, it doesn't help that the story and the plot are utter garbage and yeah, I mean, pointless. What are the actual stakes here? Is he like is he in trouble with the mob or something? I mean, <laughs> it is it is a bad eighties movie. Is there a little pouch full of diamonds that someone has misplaced? No, it's, not even close. I'm actually surprised that's not part of this movie <laughs> because that is the signature eighties MacGuffin. I mean, <laughs> okay, Tom Cruise short version uh, uh, gets out of a stint in the military once. Uh, to go to Manhattan and become corporate and make a ton of money as an investment banker. So okay, okay, let's stop right here. Okay. I'd like to think this is a sequel to, to Top, Top Gun. Gun. <laughs> <laughs> See, but Tom Cruise in Top Gun, sorry, Maverick, Maverick, okay, <laughs> has already had his mentor that taught him about, like, piloting and shit. Well, yeah, okay. but that's not the same as bartending, man. It's two different worlds. He has a whole different mentor <laughs> In cocktail. <laughs> well, he has to become the master of this new world now. <laughs> he does. He really does. He flunks out of uh, he flunks out of school, out of college, um, for mouthing off, and so he becomes a full time bartender. And he has a mentor that teaches him about flashy bartending. And then he <laughs> he 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 wants to make a lot of money and open up their own place. And then they have a falling out over a girl. And then he goes to Jamaica and bartends and meets another girl. And then it, it, it's, it gets worse, okay? Can How is this a movie? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not even like... How did this piece of shit get made? But right. how is this a movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it, Tom Cruise and his mentor <laughs> have this 
weird thing where they're really into betting on who can hook up with the richest chick and land a rich wife. I'm not making that up. So, Mentor lands a rich wife. You made it this far without even bringing that up. Let's just mention that, okay? And it's kind of the central plot to the movie. Yeah. Okay, because he shows up with this, you know, Paris Hilton-type socialite that he somehow got into a marriage. And so... Tom Cruise, meanwhile, meets Elizabeth Shue, who's like an artist, and they fall in love. But then Mentor, he's a terrible mentor, by the way, dares him to try to sleep with this uh, rich businesswoman who's on vacation. And so he's like, well, I can't say no to a bet. And so he, he seduces the businesswoman. They fuck. Then she takes him back with her to the city and makes her her kept boy for a month. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Completely missing out the sweet girl he actually fell in love with. I feel like there's a dark version of this movie that's uh-huh. like that was like the original screenplay that never saw the light of day. Where this like, one's pretty dark. Well, yeah, but I mean like full-on man whore, no bartending. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like they added that to kind of lighten the tone. <laughs> like you might be right. The source material for this might be something really just prostitutory. Like, I feel like maybe it started out as a remake of Midnight Cowboy, <laughs> and like they were like, "Well, Tom Cruise will do it, but only if." <laughs> That's a valid theory. Yeah. I mean, now you, though, you know, you watched for this. Uh, we we kind of split up the movies between us. Yeah. To, to speed the process, the research process. Right. Now, you watched uh, this, but you also watched, you know, Top Gun and Rain Man. I watched Rain Man, uh, Risky Business, Risky Business, Legend. You saw a lot of uh, triumphant Tom Cruise. A lot of classic 80s Cruise, yeah. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, I... I I followed Tom Cruise to a very dark place. I, for this project, especially focused on uh, Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. Which I'm glad you did, because I have not seen a Tom Cruise movie all uh, since, like, 1994. Yeah. I mean, I've actually... When I was going through the IMDb list, I realized how many Tom Cruise movies I'd seen and forgotten I'd seen. You're way more up on this shit than I am. Yeah, it's like, oh, right. War of the Worlds, <laughs> fucking uh, Minority Report, and Jerry right. Maguire, and all these movies that just left no mark on me at all. <laughs> I mean, and people like Jerry Maguire, God help you, but... Uh, all I remember Jerry Maguire is like that stupid kid that showed up on TV all the time after that movie, of and all, the fucking show me the money thing. Of and like, all the Cameron Crowe movies, Jerry Maguire, you're the Cameron Crowiest. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh I I did not I was not a fan. Uh but but Magnolia I really liked and Eyes Wide Shut I remember really liking both of them when they came out. Okay. And so I decided to revisit them. These are a pair of just wrenching films that take Tom Cruise fucking alpha male, big white, shiny smile Tom Cruise uh-huh. and just crush him. And that's such a rare thing. You never see him in a movie like that. Like, And the only other movie I can think of where he does anything remotely like that is actually... Well, okay, neither of us remembered to watch Born on the Fourth of July where he's a wounded veteran. Yeah, I didn't get around to that one. Whoops, whatever. We're, we suck. But... <laughs> 
Whatever, it's Oliver Stone, who cares? That's that's interesting, though, because all the Cruise movies I watched are the ones where he's like a sexy young hotshot. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that was his thing, like, throughout the 80s. That's his thing now. He's, you know, 30 years older, and it's still his fucking thing. Did you see that movie he did a year or two ago with Cameron Diaz? No, nice saw day? that. Well, no. Neither did I. No. I just... I, I keep forgetting that movie even existed. Right. Well, like, in the week or so where it was actually advertised, I kept wondering if they were trying to make that the return to his, like, 80s-style roles. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't follow up on that. I theory. mean, he still very much is cast as the action hero, you know, even in the present. Yeah. But something interesting I discovered, because, and I discovered this independent of this topic. I just happened to be reading about this separately. Okay. I was reading a book about uh, the Church of Scientology. It's called uh, Inside Scientology. It's The new big book about it is called Going Clear. Uh-huh. This is the previous big Scientology scandal book. Oh, okay. And uh, it, like any book about you know Scientology in the 21st century, there's a chapter on Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. And it talks about how in the early 90s, he reached OT3, and they told him about Xenu. Uh-huh. And he stormed out and said, what the fuck is this sci-fi bullshit? <laughs> that's a very, uh, that's a very understandable reaction. I mean, this was like 93. Nobody knew who Xenu was back then, you know? I mean, the, the internet was around, but the number of Scientologists who were on it, who were disgruntled, and who knew about Xenu, and who knew how to post something. Right. It was a vanishingly small number. Yeah, the word just hadn't gotten out. I mean, Church yeah. of Scientology's only been around since the 50s. Exactly. And so, you know, Tom Cruise stormed out, and he was already kind of on the outs with the church because he had he was taking the role of Lestat at the time. Oh, yeah. Which, they really didn't want him playing a villain like that. Okay. They felt that was just, you know, off message for the church. She's the best character in that movie, too. Tom Cruise is the only person in that movie who looks like he's having any fun. Yeah. Everyone in that movie is so fucking dour, and they all are just so committed to not using the accents that the characters (laughs) obviously are supposed to have. I mean, to be fair, Brad Pitt's character, Louie, is supposed to be kind of a downer. He's kind of the saddie dumpington of vampires. He fucking is. <laughs> but He's like the saddiest, dumpiest vampire <laughs> that ever did dump. Okay? He is the very worst vampire. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair in a world post-Pattinson. Look, Pattinson did what he had to do, and he got out, okay? <laughs> Pattinson's like a guy who escaped from the mafia, okay? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Except the mafia's teenage girls. <laughs> it could be a lot worse for yeah. Pattinson. Well, the point is that, that, yeah, they didn't want him taking that role. Okay. And he spent much of the 90s on the outs with the Church of Scientology. Like, he was still officially a member But he wasn't doing his auditing. He wasn't sending in his money, you know. Okay. And, you know, that stuff's all voluntary. You know, they get you to do it by brainwashing you and stuff, but he was not going in to get brainwashed. Right. They just, they don't let you have the next bit until you cough up more money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he was just, you know, had opted not to advance for a while, and Nicole Kidman likewise opted out, you know. Nicole Kidman, according to her Wikipedia page, has uh, always been a practicing Roman Catholic. She was, and that's why Scientology never quite liked her as his wife. (laughs) Yeah, understandable. Yeah. Well, the point is, while he was on on the outs with the church, he made Magnolia, where he plays a complete bastard who gets his entire public persona torn apart uh-huh. and ends the movie, you know, a spoiler for 14-year-old movie, ahoy. <laughs> 
uh, you know, ends the movie sobbing and telling his dying father how much he hated him, but how he still doesn't want him to die. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and then Eyes Wide Shut released the same year. Yeah. You know, Stanley Kubrick, so right there, I mean, even if it had turned out to be shit, it's still a Kubrick film, you know? Sure. I mean, and if it hadn't been Kubrick's last film, if Kubrick had lived another 20 years and thus had time to make one more film... Right. He did not work fast. Yeah, uh, no. You know, people, I think, would think of Eyes Wide Shut more kindly just because, you know, Stanley Kubrick didn't know he was going to die. He didn't know this was going to be his final statement to the world. Yeah, that's fair. You know, but if you bring up Eyes Wide Shut around, you know, film nerds, they're all going to start arguing, well, it's no Clockwork Orange, it's no Dr. Strange Love. Perhaps history has been kind to Barry Lyndon, you know? And, uh, <laughs> It's pretty brutal to hold the mirror up to fucking Clockwork Orange, though. I mean, that film is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. But the (laughs) point is that this movie is about everyone in New York getting laid except for Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just Tom Cruise having... Actually, both Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia are movies about Tom Cruise having the worst fucking day of his life. Okay, that see that's that's good fodder for a film though. Yeah, yeah. And and in Eyes Wide Shut, it's like he's this he's a doctor who's the sort of doctor who makes house calls to extremely rich people, mm-hmm. and he looks like Tom Cruise because you know Tom Cruise isn't real in this movie; he's an actor. Okay. And and you know he lives on the Upper West Side with his wife, who used to manage a gallery and now takes care of their daughter, and it's like these are fabulously wealthy Upper West Side people. Okay. And the whole conceit of the movie is he finds out how the truly powerful and wealthy, who are light years beyond him, actually live. (laughs) And it's a sea of twisted depravity and and creepy cult orgies that the governor was probably at. And it's never stated, but it's heavily implied. (laughs) So that's why the Church of Scientology doesn't like that movie. That's one of the reasons, yeah. (laughs) And and yeah, like while he was on the outs with the church, he gave these, these performances where even if the performance was still that sort of of cocky, you know, crazy laughing Tom Cruise performance. Yeah. Because, you know, he does the crazy laugh. <laughs> you know, the laugh. Sure. I can't yeah. do it. But, uh, right. You know, even if he's giving that kind of performance. People have seen the Oprah clip. Yeah. Yeah. Just by putting it in, in this kind of script, in this kind of context, it, it suddenly becomes this very raw performance by this character who is is trying to put on this mask, literally in the case of Eyes Wide Shut, and, and it, you know, just getting everything he knows about the world torn apart and having a really shitty time, which is off-message for Scientology. Because Scientology is all about becoming the master of your fate and of the world. And, right. you know... Making progress on the bridge to total freedom. You learn a lot reading about it. It's fucked up. Yeah, um, yeah, no. Be your best uh, uh, alien soul in a meat body. Yeah. All that crap. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when he was kind of allowed to or rebellious enough to deviate from those messages, yeah, he just, I think, produced better work. No, that's fair. I mean, that makes and sense. Although I don't care for Jerry Maguire, you know, it did very well among critics. A lot of people like it. Cuba Gooding somehow won an Oscar. Haven't seen it. You know, but the point is that that film was made during that same period. Huh. Yeah. 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 So it's like if we're looking at the period where Tom Cruise made a lot of movies that, you know, are considered sort of objectively good. Right. Happens to coincide with that. Now, getting back to kind of the the quote-unquote best Tom Cruise movies... 
there's a couple of the ones I've seen that I would say are contenders for the best. Yeah. But for two different reasons, right? Because, like, on the one hand, Rain Man, right? Yeah. Rain Man is a great movie, but it's a great Dustin Hoffman movie. Exactly. Okay? It's a great movie that has Tom Cruise in it. Well, Tom Cruise is all over it. He's actually in more of the movie than Dustin Hoffman. Well, yeah. Like, we see everything kind of through his eyes. But he's actually kind of the straight, normal guy who's just kind of a dick Yeah. in that film. And he plays the role very well. I mean, the acting is good all the way around. Yes. But the mind-blowing performance is Dustin Hoffman yeah. as the autistic savant. Yeah. You know, that film is awesome. But it's not awesome because of Cruise. Okay. Well, exactly. I mean, Magnolia is this absolute giant, messy ensemble piece. Uh-huh. You know, with this cast of just nothing but ringers, you know? Right. And, you know, it's telling, like, 12 parallel stories, and they kind of intersect in places, but ultimately Tom Cruise is only about one-twelfth of this film. <laughs> now, you say ensemble cast with, with lots of different little stories. Yeah. And it makes me think of, of New Year's Eve. Okay. <laughs> the, uh... Imagine New Year's Eve, or any of those fucking Gary Marshall, rom- like, you know, oh, exactly. ensemble rom-coms. It sounds like a Gary Marshall film when you describe it that Except way. Except instead of about love, uh-huh. it's about facing your darkest self. See, I don't think Gary Marshall can make a movie like that. So it- Instead of being about love, it's about 12 different people hitting the utter depth of despair on the same day. Okay, because is it New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day, yeah. arguably the sequel. I thought it was the prequel, but go on. It, they have completely different casts. They're just the same conceit. Well, yeah, I just, you know what I mean. Are terrible movies. They absolutely are. Yeah, is yeah. the point. Well, yeah, this one is not, but at the same time, it's like, you <laughs> it's, know. My point is it's nice that somebody could do it well. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean. I mean, Altman did it first, and this is P.T. Anderson doing this. Okay, yeah. But the point is that. Yeah, I mean, what part of it makes the movie great? I mean, Tom Cruise's performance as the the cocky pickup artist, uh, you know, seminar guy, right? Who, you know, as I said, gets his persona torn down, yeah, in, over the course of the movie, which takes place over the course of a day, right? Is one of I think his better performances, just because he plays cocky so well, and then to undercut that persona both in the film and kind of in real life, uh, you know the subtext there of that. But is that what makes the film great? When you got John C. Riley as like the saddest cop ever, who you're just rooting for because he's not a very good cop, but he's such a great guy. <laughs> I really, really do enjoy sad John C. Riley. Yeah, I, I mean, mean <laughs> I love. Dr. Steve Rule. Yeah, I mean, he is, this is one of my favorite TV characters. This is John C. Riley probably playing it straighter than he ever has. Okay. Like playing one of the more normal characters he's ever played. Uh-huh. But the fact that little bits of Steve Brule still kind of show <laughs> through the cracks, that even when he's playing it completely straight, like that level of, of, <laughs> of sadness and of vulnerability are still there. Uh-huh. It's just like, is. I mean, like, that is what I remember from that film more than Tom Cruise. I mean, and that's the movie where Tom Cruise gets up on stage and says, Respect the cock. Oh. And and yet I I remember, you know, the the thing I remember from that movie is, uh, like, a shot of John C. Riley's back. Where you can barely hear what he's saying, you know? And, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to watch that film just for John C. Riley, if nothing else. He's very good in it. And, and likewise, you know, 
I mean, Eyes Wide Shut is nonstop Tom Cruise. So, right. But at the same time, is it good because it's a Tom Cruise movie, or is it good because it's a Stanley Kubrick movie? Well, you know, a, a Tom Cruise movie I also I also enjoyed legitimately was Risky Business. I mean, that's fair. And that one starts out like like iffy. Like it seemed kind of dumb at first. I was a teenager in the eighties. Crap. Yeah. And then it gets really dark and seedy. It does. Like, it takes a turn. Like Rebecca De Mornay comes in, and at first you think she's going to be like the you know hooker with the heart of gold, like. Um, uh, uh, Julia Roberts, Julia Roberts type, yeah. and no, she's fucking dark. They like they set up a fucking brothel inside his his parents' house. Yeah, man. like they're seriously trying to get money and cheat pimps yeah. and shit. It's just it's Tom Cruise and Balky and Booger and Guido the Killer Pimp. <laughs> it does. I love those '80s cameos. It's like Bronson yeah. Pinchot, and I don't even remember the name of Booger, but uh, Curtis Armstrong, I believe. Okay, yeah, yeah. Re- classic Revenge of the Nerds character. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not his name, then whoever Curtis Armstrong is, I guess it's cool that I remember you as Booger, even if it's not you. <laughs> I'd have to look it up, man. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> If you're, like, a baseball player or something, whatever, dude. But, like, Risky Business is a fun movie, but it doesn't do too much of the, like, 80s teenage cliche shit. Like, it actually goes in a weirder direction. Yeah, it starts off with that premise of, wouldn't it be wacky if teenagers did this? Oh, wait... Here's how horrible it would be. Yeah, like, Zach Morris would never do any of that shit, okay? <laughs> no. No. Oh, my like, God. The conventional wisdom is, this stuff would not fly. And, no, Cruz does it anyway. And he, he really sells it, you know? He, he does. So, yeah, no, I was impressed with it. So, like, Tom Cruise is good. I mean, he's a yeah. good actor. He is. He, like, can, he can act. Yeah. He, can, he, he is at least a confident actor, even when given utter crap to work with. Well, if you watch a film like Legend, which is, you know... Very young Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's super young Tom Cruise. It's got Mia Sarah from Ferris Bueller, who I love. Oh. And Mia Sarah is still wonderful. But oh, Sloan Peterson. Legend is, is a quintessential Get High movie. <laughs> okay, because... I have been to so <laughs> many parties where I'm walking around the house that the party is happening in, and I stumble upon the room where everyone's getting high. They're just sitting in the circle, passing the bowl around. Yeah. And I... On TV, every fucking time, legend. Having just watched it sober, that makes perfect sense. Because, for one thing, the actors don't get a lot of time to act. Like, there's not even that much of a script. It's a lot of it's visual. They've got this crazy, like, Tangerine Dream music from the Hearts of Space booming soundtrack that's going on all the oh, time. Yeah, yeah. The, the forest looks like fucking Teldrassil, the giant tree where the elves come from. Yeah. Okay? And, like, Tim Curry is this amazing, huge red devil, and he steals every scene he's in. You know, it is Tim Curry. And he's got these weird little, like, elf people that, like, run around almost, like, in loincloths made of fluff. And, like, doing really offbeat comic relief. But so much of it is, like, visual and tone. Oh, and there's, like, uh, 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 you know, foggy scenes with unicorns. Like, it is so a get-high-and-stare-at film rather than enjoy for the story. So there's very little story there. Yeah. Like, even when he puts on the suit of armor and grabs the sword... Like, that's one day all this shit is happening, okay? He's a, a village, a handsome village boy. He has no time for training. He's got turnips to pick. 
Exactly. It's like if you took Link from Legend of Zelda yeah. and and put him straight in the final battle. Like he had no time to like upgrade his sword and get the boomerang and like level up and get the extra hearts and stuff. Oh my god, what no, I mean you, you, you need throw him into the final battle on day one you with the need practice. The grappling sword. hook to get all the heart pieces. Yeah, no, no. Cruz's character in Legend never gets the grappling hook, man. Oh they man. just throw him straight at the devil. <laughs> Damn. That, I feel like... Good for him, I guess, for winning. Yeah. um, One final thought. Okay. At least from me. Okay. On Top Gun... Yeah. I can't evaluate whether or not Top Gun was good. And I would argue that no one else can either. Here's why. I think I know why, but say it. It's because there is a hypnotic effect perpetrated by the gratuitous use of Kenny Loggins, okay? Danger every, zone, man. Every time the action gets a little slow or boring in Top Gun, they play Danger Zone again. I know. It's like it's like if you're watching a, a fantasy movie or a movie where they've composed a real score instead of just licensing songs, you know? Yeah. And like, like in Lord of the Rings, you know, there's that triumphant fanfare that happens whenever we cut to Aragorn running across a field. Oh, yeah. And every time we see it again, we get, like, the, the bold reprise of that or the dark version of that or the minor key version of that, depending on the scene. Yeah. It's like that, except instead of writing a song, it's just fucking Danger Zone again. Yeah, well, like, and and the thing is, every time I start to think, well, this is kind of dumb when I'm watching Top Gun, Danger Zone comes on and I'm back on board. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if that movie works without that song, but here's how you test it, okay? Take anything else, another movie, your life, whatever. Put Danger Zone on your iPod, and then and then just, like, whenever something starts to get a little slow, listen to Danger Zone and see if that makes you on board again with whatever's happening. If so, then Tom, Top Gun is just an experiment in Kenny Loggins-based mass hypnosis. I think you're really onto something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember if I had a final thought or not, because I think you're right. So, in terms of best and worst films... Yeah. The question was unclear, but you can probably listen to what we said and draw your own conclusions. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, and there's a bunch of movies I didn't see, because movies. Yeah. We, yeah. Like I said, we forgot Born on the Fourth of July. Fuck it. Yeah, whatever. It's Oliver Stone. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, he, I, he seems like an okay guy, but maybe not a great filmmaker. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Until next week. Danger Zone! That's correct. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. Like a zone. Was <laughs> <With> danger. <laughs> Lana! This has been a production of the Beak Podcasting Network. Visit thebeak.org to learn more about this and other quality podcasts. Seriously, guys, so awesome.